0: Can you hear me out there? Good? All right, good stuff. So, are you enjoying the weather? Lovely dribbly rain. It's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> Not so good, is it? All right. Um, sorry, this light is actually blinding me. Good. Um, so let's see how we do. If you just want to go to the next slide, actually, that'd be good. All right, so welcome, welcome to PIC. My name is Bryn Williams, if you haven't met me already. I'm one of the pastor's assistants here, although I think I know absolutely everyone here, so uh, the introduction's not necessary. Um, All right, uh, just if you have a look on this picture, does anyone know this little girl? Anyone? No. Uh, Her name is Zahara. Originally, she was born Zahara Mali on uh, July the 6th, 2005, and she was born actually in Addis Ababa in uh, Ethiopia. Now, in, uh, in Addis Ababa, there are uh, 100,000 street children, and um, every day for them is a real struggle for life, really, a struggle for food, um, a struggle to, to find somewhere to sleep that's safe. Uh, generally, they have to get their food by either begging for a bit of money from friendly people or uh, trying to just, usually just from eating out of the rubbish bins, uh, sleeping on the sides of the streets, and that's, that's really what their life is like. On a daily basis, um, but actually, this is uh, this is not Zahara's life. She was born an orphan. Her parents, both of her parents, are most likely dead. Obviously, she wasn't born an orphan, but um, her parents are most likely dead. And uh, but she's not she's not an orphan anymore. Um, you you probably know her parents. Do you know her parents? Yeah, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. So that's that's a bit of a step up in life, isn't it? Um, and she went from being in an orphanage in Ethiopia uh, to now living in, uh, let's see, have we got the next one? This is, her, this is her house at the moment. It's a, I, <clears throat> let, me, let me just get it right, it's a 35-bedroom palace in, uh, in France, it, 880 acres, I, I don't even know how much, that's a lot though, of acres. Uh, And there's an organic vineyard, which I think you can see in the background. And it has its own olive grove. It has 20 fountains, a private lake, and for their ultimate privacy, its own forest. Can you imagine? Brad Pitt, I think, earns $23 million a year. Can you imagine? So her life situation has been completely transformed. But she could choose to still live as an orphan. Uh, What do you think would happen if, uh, say, Brad, I'll call him Brad, shall I? Uh, He comes out and he finds his daughter, Zahara, digging in the bins outside the back of their house, just eating whatever she can find of the leftovers. What, What do you think he would do? He'd probably run over to her, just pick her up and say, Look, you don't understand. You are my dearly loved daughter, I am your loving father. You don't have to eat from the bins. you probably carry her inside, take her to what I'm sure is the largest fridge in the world, just open the fridge and say, I will give you all the food you need. I will take care of you. I'll make sure that you get to eat when you need to eat. So what's, what's the problem? Is, is she Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt's daughter. Well, I can I can tell you actually because uh, on the, January the nineteenth, two thousand and six, a judge in California approved Brad Pitt's uh, that's right, well, not rightful ownership, but uh, <laughs> uh, he he adopted her. <laughs> All right, so he, he really did adopt her. Um, and so is she his daughter? Yes. Uh, does she have access to food? Yes. Does he love her? Yes. So what's the problem? If she's out in the back, she just doesn't believe that she really is his daughter. And that's, that's the problem. She doesn't believe who she is. And it's her understanding that needs to change. And in many ways, actually, that's what we can do as Christians. Uh, we can live out of a wrong understanding of who we actually are. We can live as though we're orphans without a Heavenly Father Father who's providing for us on a daily basis, who's involved in our lives, who's active in our lives. And and really, what we're going to see today is to live the transformed life of love that God really has for us, we must have our understanding of who we are reshaped at the most fundamental level. And we have to have it reshaped to this. Because we are in Christ, God is our loving Father, and we are his dearly loved children. So I'll say that again for you. Because we're in Christ, God is our loving Father, and we are his dearly loved children. And that's really what we're going to look at today. We're going to see how we became God's children and, uh, we're also going to see some really practical ways that we can go about having our understanding of who we are changed at the deepest level so that we live out of the reality of who we are. And, um, that's, that's really why we're beginning this, uh, series in Ephesians. Um, you know, the vision for our church, you could really say it as come, grow, serve, and then go. And, uh, Last last term we really did what was essentially come, we, we went to the gospel, what is the essence of the gospel, how can you come to God and be saved, how can you get people to come to God and be saved. And this term, in the next sort of seven weeks or so, we're really going to focus in on how do we grow in Christ. Um, and, and what we're going to see, oh, So well, perhaps uh, you're a person who's just become a Christian and you're wondering really, okay, well, what's, what's the next step? I've given my life to God, I'm his child, but really now what? Uh, or maybe you've been a Christian for actually quite a long time and you're wondering, okay, well, actually I want to help people to grow in Christ. What's the best way that I can do that? And what we're going to see is that the pattern for growth in the New Testament is that we come to an understanding of who we are in Christ and that this becomes our fundamental identity, our real identity, and then we live out of that identity. So that's really where we're going today. Um, And so what what we'll see is with the book of Ephesians, um, the Holy Spirit has actually inspired Paul in such a way as to really, really show us this. Uh, In the first three chapters, in chapters 1 to 3, he's basically just piling on the amount of stuff that God has done for us. Just the incredible blessings that he's brought us in. He's placed us in Christ. We're his children. We're going to have this incredible inheritance, who we are as a people together. And he does this for three chapters. And only then, in chapter 4, in in chapter 4, the first verse of chapter 4, he begins and he gives his first instruction and actually it's just an encouragement and he says this he says i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received and then again in ephesians 5 1 he says be imitators of god therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love can you see he says you must understand who you are because if we're going to live according to the calling which we have in christ then we have to know what that calling is. And really that's what we're going to be setting out to do over the next sort of seven weeks or so is we're going to be looking at that calling, who we are in Christ, who we are as a people in Christ and our relationship to God as a result of it. Then we'll take a break for about a month. Uh, We'll do some mission stuff, uh, which is going to be really exciting. And then uh, after that, we'll come back to chapter four to six uh, from April to June. Uh, So about another eight weeks or so and just get into the really wonderful stuff of how do we then live out this Christian life? And then we'll find that actually the way that we're supposed to live is rooted back into our identity, who we are. And so we'll live out of this identity. Like my passion is for people to come to uh, books of the Bible, especially, uh, you know, Ephesians, these sorts of ones. And actually to get the idea that God isn't just giving us verses, that we can hold on to from time to time. He's giving us his thoughts, and it it goes in series. So he says stuff to us. He says, I love you, you're my children, I've made you a people together, and now, because you're my children, I want you to go out and live lives of love. And that's that's what we're going to see as we go through the series. So I'm, as you can see, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, And uh, so... Let's 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 get going, shall we? So, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to page, uh, not page, to Ephesians one. So, Ephesians one, one to three. Rich has already kindly read it for us, so I'll just pull out a couple of things. Uh, it says, "Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to so the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus." Now, that phrase, in Christ, actually comes up in this passage 11 times. In, I think, 13 verses, it comes up 11 times. So you get the impression that this is probably quite important for us to understand. Um, And then verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many spiritual blessings does it say there? Does it say a couple? Some? A few. Actually, quite a lot. No, he says every spiritual blessing. Where? In Christ. And that phrase, in Christ, is just like the drumbeat. Of, that goes through the book of Ephesians, 11 times in this one. I haven't counted through the whole book, but I'll bet it's a lot. Um, and it's basically the center of our de- identity. And we're going to get into this in, in a little bit more detail. What you should know, really, about this first passage, verse 3 to, to 14 about, which is what we're going to do today, is actually one sentence. Actually, 1 to 13, I think, is one sentence in the Greek. I heard one person describe it as one big fat Greek sentence, which <laughs> I thought was quite funny. Um, and it's basically Paul just exploding with praise for God. That's how he begins. He says, Praise be to God. And actually, this is how he finishes the, the passage to the praise of his glory. It's just one long effusion of praise. Someone said it's like when you shake a bottle of pop uh, and then you, you, you let the top off and just poof, sprays out. That's pretty exciting. Uh, and, and, and so it's kind of like that. That's what, that's what Paul's doing in this. Um, and like I said, this, this phrase, in Christ, and this verse 3 actually could really be a summary of everything that we're going we're gonna to do today. Uh, so if you look at it, it says, Praise be to God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And really what I'm going to say today is that the center of those blessings is, is our relationship to God as he our loving father and we're his dearly loved children. And really everything either leads to that or it's an outflow of that. And so if you get nothing else from what I say today, just remember that because you are in Christ, God is your loving father and you are his dearly, dearly loved children. And in this first paragraph, actually, Paul is really praising the Father. In chapter 2, he gets into what Jesus has done, how incredible all of the things that Jesus has done is. But in this first chapter, he's really just praising God the Father. And so our main focus today really will be on God, our loving Father. If you... uh... If if you have a look at that in Christ phrase, uh, this is so important for us to understand. And in fact, for the rest of the book. So I guess we've got to take just a little bit of time to say, well, what does it mean to be in Christ? And what it means is that we've been united with Christ in a very, very real way. If you're a Christian, you have been united to Christ in a way that you are fundamentally joined to him. The Bible uses the example that we're his body now. Uh, and so if you if you take your hand, uh, could you do this for me? If you just take your hand and lift it up like that. Was that difficult to do? For most of you, probably not. Um, if you just put it back down, that's because you're one with your hand. Yeah? You, you are fundamentally connected to your arm. And it's the same with us in Christ. We are one with Christ. We are connected to him. And so where does it say in uh, in Ephesians, that, that this is the case. If you, there's, there's a lot of places, um, but one of them that I found really helpful was if you look in Ephesians 2, 8, it'll come up on the screen now, I hope. Um, so you don't need to turn there. <clears throat> he says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast and here it is for we are God's workmanship we've been created by God created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us so can you see it's an act of creation there's something that wasn't there before God has done something in the same way that he created in the beginning of the world when there was nothing God has done that in us we are in Christ. Uh, John calls this the new birth. Uh, Paul says in Christ. So this is the fundamental reality. You can see it again in Ephesians 2:15. He says uh, that Jesus might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. So you see that we're united to Christ we're made part of his body so if we go back into verse three then and it says that in christ we receive every spiritual blessing so it's not because of anything that we've done it's not because we're special it's not because we are somehow worthy of god's uh, you know blessing it's because we're united to christ that is the source of our blessing he is incredible we get blessed That's basically a summary of Ephesians. And now what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at, okay, so what are actually some of these blessings? And like I said at the beginning, really I would say that the center of these blessings that Paul's giving for us, at least in this passage, is the fact that God is our loving Father and we're his dearly loved children. And everything else is just connected to that. So let's read together and I'll show you what I mean. Um, Well, I'll show you that, that... God being our Father is is really the main blessing. So if you have a look with me in verse 4, it says, For he, and this is God, our Father, chose us in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So here it is. There's God's aim for us. That we would be his children, he would be our father. And if if you're a lady, if you're a woman, uh, maybe you find this talk of sons a little bit, you know, alienating. You're like, well, it's fine for the men; you get to be a son. But what about me? Is this for me? And I would say, yes, it is. It is for you. This is what what Paul's talking about here is that in that culture, it was the sons who inherited. If you were the son, you inherited. If you were the wife. I mean, if you were the daughter, unfortunately, you got married off into another family, maybe fortunately. Uh, uh, but, but anyway, you didn't inherit, and that's the whole point. Uh, and so what Paul is saying is you are fully adopted children of God. And if you're still having a hard time with that, you think, well, okay, just, just remember that for us guys, we actually have to be part of the bride of Christ, which I think is a bit more confusing, to be honest. All right. So you know, just keep it in perspective. All right. Um, anyway, so uh, we find out that this was his will. It says that we would be adopted as his children and all the other blessings either flow to it so that we can be adopted or flow from it as a result of it. Um, so let, let me show you what I mean. So we'll have a look at what these other blessings are, because Paul actually lists, as I count, nine blessings in, uh, in this passage. Uh, and and I, I think that really they show us who God is and actually the solid basis of our relationship with him. And so after, after this, you should feel really safe and confident in your relationship to God as father. So let's, let's have a look. It says um, in verse 4, he says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So we were chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. And that phrase, in his sight, you could, you could translate as in his presence. You know, I didn't put it in the slide, but there's this wonderful picture of John Kennedy in the Oval Office when he was president. How, how powerful is the president of the United States? Reasonably Powerful pretty powerful i would say in in the western world and in in the world there's probably not many people more powerful than the president but there's this wonderful photo where you see john kennedy and his children his son is just running around in the oval office just and his daughter i think is on a skipping rope i'm not entirely sure what she's doing but she's they're just playing in the presence of their father you know he's no less mighty he's no less powerful but they're in his presence. And it's the same with God. God is mighty. He's the creator. And we're in his presence. And that's why he chose us. He chose us in Christ uh, that we would be holy and blameless in his presence. Are you holy and blameless? Do you feel holy and blameless? I, I, I don't a lot of the time. In fact, I say most of the time. More and more, actually, it seems. Um, And so we have a problem, because none of us are perfect. None of us are free from hate, from lies, from the desire to to make ourselves great, uh, and, and all of the outflowings of that, whether or not they actually flow out into your real life or not, those things are all in us. And the problem is that God is a holy and righteous, perfect God, and he cannot have sin in his presence. He has to remove it. And so we have a problem. How are we to be in his presence? How is he going to get us into his presence when we're really so antithetical to his character? And his solution, you can see there in verse 7, it says, in him, and that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And this is what's behind this, this language of redemption they, they would have known these phrases really, really well um, because redemption was all about buying the freedom of a slave. So when, when Paul says redemption, <clears throat> they would have understood immediately to their, <clears throat> to their minds would have come the picture and the sights and the smells of the slave market, people who were actually in bondage, in shackles, ready to be sold to the next owner who would do who knows what with them. And unless, of course, somebody redeemed them, Somebody came and paid the price to set them free, to have their shackles taken off and they would be free people. And this is, this is what we were. We were in sin. We were slaves of sin. Everyone is born a slave of sin. Until you're in Christ, you were a slave of sin. But that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. And this is what it means. It says, uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins. That's how the redemption, that was the price, was the blood of Jesus. And so we're united to Christ. We're in him. And he lived a perfect life. And then he died for our sins. And so we're united with him. He's paid for our sins. And we're in Christ. And so when God sees us, he sees his son. He sees his perfection. It's all about him. He sees his perfection, his righteous life. And that's counted to us. And I think sometimes we can make the mistake of seeing forgiveness as the end goal. Now, you become a Christian, you have your sins forgiven, but whilst forgiveness is absolutely critical, it's not God's end goal. His end goal is relationship with us. We were chosen that we could be holy and blameless. Yes, but in His presence—that's what He wants for us. He wants us to be with Him. He wants to live with us, to be with us on a daily basis. And so now we come here to our second one, which is that we were chosen by grace, which means that God chose us to be his children freely. It cost us nothing. We didn't have to do anything to earn it. In verse 4, he says he chose us in him. We've read that part. Uh, but in verse 5, it says he predestined us to be adopted as three sons uh, through Jesus Christ in accordance with what? In accordance with how good we are? how funny you are, how handsome you are, how beautiful you are, if you're born into the right family, if you've done all the right things, if you never, ever make any mistakes. What does it say? In accordance with what? His pleasure and will. It's God's plan. That's why he did it. And and what's the, what's the point? So the praise of his what? His glorious grace. I heard someone say, and I think it's so helpful, grace, if you take the first letters... G-R-A-C-E, you get God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. I've never forgotten that. It's so helpful. Um, and, and that's what we got. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood uh, in accordance with what? The riches of God's, God's grace in verse 7 that he lavished on us. How much is lavishing? Yes? Is it just like a grudging little bit? It's like you know, if your child asks to you and says, "Mum, can I have some sweets?" and you, you take out one maybe old sweet from your pocket, maybe a bit covered in lint, you know, some you know, <laughs> some stuff you'd give them. That's that's grudging giving. That's not lavishing. Lavishing is giving the best and giving it in abundance. And that's what God did. He says. Freely he gave it to us. And we're going to see in a couple of weeks that actually grace is completely, completely free. Paul makes it just absolutely clear in Ephesians 2 8. He says, For by, and it'll be on the screen, I hope. There we go. For by grace you have been saved. And this is what? Not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. How many times does he emphasize? He's just repeating himself now, isn't he? It's just like, it's by grace. It's free. It's not because of anything that you've done. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. He says it like three or four times. It's completely, completely free. And so can you see? We're welcomed into God's presence, holy and blameless, because we're in Christ. It's not us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before we were born, how much were you achieving before you were born? Just as a general question. Obviously, it's rhetorical because I didn't achieve a lot before I was born. Didn't get a lot done. you know, Not, not really. And so he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And so we're welcomed into his presence to be holy and blameless because of Jesus' death for us. And it's all free. It's freely given to us. Uh, in, in verses 8 to 10, we're not really going to go through them. It's all just to do with the fact that God has told us what his plan is. And this is another one of his blessings. Um, and then the last one that I just want us to spend some time on is uh, just in verse 13. And this is really the point is that in, as God's children, we have received the first part of our inheritance. So who, who inherits, actually? Like, if I were to sadly pass away, no offense, but you wouldn't get anything. Like it's it's for kids, isn't it? It's for your children. Obviously, my wife would get first, and then she would give it to Hannah. Uh, you know, so it's it's for the family. It's for your children. It's for your wife. And we're the bride of Christ, and we're the children of God. So we're doubly sorted. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> sorted. Absolutely. And and this is this is the point: is that uh, we're going to have this incredible inheritance, and actually. It's not just when we die that we get this. It's now. And so what is this blessing? If you look with me in verse 13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So God gave us the Holy Spirit. You know, we did this, he's the third person of the Trinity. He is equally God and He is living within us if we're in Christ. Yeah, so if you if you have heard the gospel and believed the gospel, the Holy Spirit is within you. And it says that He's a deposit. What's what's a deposit? Does anyone know? The deposit is, you don't really get them so much anymore, but um, for example if you book a restaurant table, yeah, say you're the owner of a restaurant, you, you, you have a restaurant you, somebody wants to book a table, you say that's fine, but you need to leave me with a deposit uh, which means that you give an amount of money, so I as the restaurant owner, I get an amount of money, a small part of what ultimately I'm going to get at the end, which is the full part of money, yeah, so that's a deposit it's both money, and actually it's the same part of the money so this is just the first bit. That's going to be the final bit, you know, the completed full amount uh, for what the, the meal would cost and all of the rest of that stuff. And this is what God is saying to us. He's saying that he's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit. It's of the same type of blessing. So what does he mean? What, what, what can that possibly mean? And I think, you know, if we look to the end of Revelation 21, verses 3 and following, um, you know in there it tells us what our incredible inheritance is going to be one day in christ and when god creates a new heavens and a new earth and we'll be placed within that creation and there will be what does it say on the screen i had a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man the dwelling place of god is with man he'll live with us He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he himself will be with them as their God. And then later it says, and they'll have this inheritance. I will be their God, and they will be my sons. And then later in Ephesians 2, in 18, it says that through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to our father. And then he says in 21, in him, in Jesus, you also, speaking of the church, are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives us access to God. He makes us God's people. God dwells with us. So you can see how this is a deposit. We are God's children. It says elsewhere in the Bible that God leads us. His Spirit. The children of God are led by the Spirit. It says in Galatians that because we have the Spirit within us, the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, which is like, in Aramaic it means like Daddy. It's this cry within you that God is really your loving Father and you are really His dearly loved child. And so can you see, all of these things forgiveness the holy spirit revelation our future inheritance they're just part and they're connected to our being in relationship with god as, as our father and, and we're his loving children he's done everything to prepare us for this moment to be his children and so how do you become a child of god and that's what he really turns to in verse 13 is it automatic you know it's free but is it automatic i know there's one simple thing that we do in response to God's incredible offer. In verse 13 it says, You also were included in Christ. When? Can you tell me? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, then we were marked with the Spirit, we became God's children, all of the blessings came to us. And it's not a lot, is it, really? Really? to trust in God's offer. You know, it's a little bit like, imagine there was a a young man who wanted to go sailing in the sea, and uh, he borrowed his father's boat without permission uh, and went out into the sea, and he, he went deep, you know, much further than he should have gone, and a storm came up, and he finds himself thrashing about, and the boat begins to sink, and he's sinking down below the surface of the water thinking, what now? And it's then that he realizes his father is called the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard comes blaring in in their big, big boat. His father throws out this, you know, life ring. The life ring lands in front of him. He grabs hold of the life ring and he sort of like struggles, pulls, pulled onto the boat. They get him up there soaking, freezing, shivering. What would you think would happen if he got up to his feet and said, <clears throat> I think I'm the real hero. Did you see the way I grabbed that life ring? No, of course not. Everything has been done for him. All he did was accept that offer of salvation. So God really is our loving Father, and we 're his dearly loved children i think I think you 'll remember that by the end of by the end of this message. but then the, the real question, and just in our last few moments together, I just want to spend how do we do this? How do we get our minds changed? How do we have our understanding of ourselves deeply altered. And, you know, Paul says for us in in Ephesians four one, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. How do we do that? And I'd say, actually, we already understand it. Some of you here are called to be medical students. And I don't mean anything like religious or special by that. All I mean is that you believe that you are a medical student. Which means that you pay your fees, it means that you get out of bed in the morning when the alarm clock rings, which you probably really don't want to do, uh, you know, you get in your clothes, you go all the way down to the medical building, you know, you study for your tests, you take the tests, you do all of these things, because really you believe that you are a medical student, that is your identity. And so really it's not hard for us to see that, that we actually act out of what we really believe is true. The problem that we have is that we give our mental assent to something. We think, I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God. And then we go about our day and we find actually that the things that we do display that really that's not what we believe at times. I'm sure with you it's a mixture as well as it is for me. Sometimes I'm acting in faith that I'm God's child. You know, in a given situation I'll, you know, live as God's beloved child. I really will. And other times I won't. So it's a mix. And so it's a matter of us taking these truths. And this is what we're going to be doing for the next sort of seven weeks. Is taking these truths of who we are in Christ, in relationship to God. And building them into our minds so that it becomes so much a part of our core identity that we live out of that. And there's a few things that we can do. The first one that we can do is we just just need to know who we are. And that's what we're doing here. And so I would say, if you want to do this, just keep coming each week, you know, for the next series. Just keep coming in and we will explain, we'll go through this. If you're not in one of our small groups, I would say join one of those small groups and you can talk about it some more. What does it mean that we're in Christ? You know, what does it mean that I'm God's child? What would this look like on a daily basis? Um, and so the first one is just really to know God's calling. And so I can congratulate you. You are already on the way to knowing God's calling. You've already done part of what, we need, what you need to do. And the second thing that we need to do, and really we're going to get into this when Rich preaches to us next week, is that we need to pray for God to reveal to us. We need the Spirit to actually teach us. And this is what Paul prays in the next passage. He says, he tells them all of this incredible stuff. Paul is the apostle of Christ Jesus. He has the best, clearest, most accurate lesson, most accurate message. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, after all. And, but it's not enough. He gets to the end of that incredible explanation, and he says, and for this reason, because of your love, I bow my knees before the Father. And pray that he would give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And that you would know his calling and he goes on. And I'm sure Rich will go into wonderful detail for us next week. Um, but we really need to just be dependent on God and say, God, if you don't teach me this stuff, I'm not going to know it. And really all of these things that we do, knowing it, uh, praying for revelation, it has to be done in the context of God being our Surprise! Surprise! Loving father, and we're his dearly loved children. So, what's it like when you have a loving father? You know, what's what's he like with his children? Is he distant? Is he disengaged? Is he doing something else? A re, I mean, a really loving father, the perfect father that you can imagine. You know, is he does he just see you once a week? Like I heard a preacher say a funny thing where he says, "I've decided to approach my child rearing in the same way that." Uh, some people approach their church services. I'm going to get my children in once a week. I'm going to talk to them for an hour. We'll sing a song, and then I'll send them off to do what I told them for the next week. <laughs> and obviously, it's just a little joke, but God's not like that. He's not, he doesn't meet us once a week. He doesn't even meet us once a day. He's there with us day by day, by moment, by minute, in everything that we do. Everything. So when you're, when you're at university, he's with you. He wants to teach you. He is teaching you. When you're at work, he's with you, he's teaching you, he's leading you. And this is what we need to do just to get this into us. And so everything that we do has to be in dependence on God and say, God, if you don't give this to me, I've got nothing. And then also in faith that says, God, you love me. You are the perfect father. If I can be a father to my daughter in a way like I make sure she gets enough food, most of the time, uh, she gets enough food, you know, all of that sort of thing, Why why do we think that God would be a worse father than Bryn Williams would be? You know, it's just, obviously he wouldn't. You know, and this is what Jesus is pressing out with so much of his teaching. Um, And so then really just to draw us to to a close, uh, if we're to know this truth, then we've got to really get it into us. And I would say memorizing God's truth and then thinking about it is a really, really good way to do that. And so I would say if... If if you've not memorized before, I'd say start with verse 5 and 6. Those would be your verses for this week. Uh, And if you have memorized before, let's be a bit braver. Try 5 to 9. Have you got that? Beginners, which verses? 5? 5 and 6. And then for the brave and advanced. 5 to? Exactly. All right, good stuff. And then the final thing uh, that that we really need to do, and this is really what Paul's been telling us, in, in this passage, he says, praise be to God. And that's what we've got to do. We just, we just praise God. Because, do we praise him because it does us good? No, but it does us good. Uh, we praise him because he's worthy, because he's given us so much. And then actually we find that as we do that, uh, we're excited by the truth that becomes fresh and alive again to us. And so I'd really just invite you, as we're going through, even now, this next last song that we do, and just in in the next few weeks, just to really come to worship with that kind of thankful attitude, thinking over these things that he's done for us. So let me just invite the worship guys, if you guys want to come back up. uh, And let me just pray for us as we close. Father. I thank you, Father. I thank you that word just has so much significance for us because of what you've revealed to us, that you are our Father and you love us and that you are involved with us on a daily basis, teaching us, raising us, providing for us, correcting us. I thank you for this incredible love. I thank you for your Spirit who uh, has come to us and is the deposit of, of one day our full inheritance as your full sons in your kingdom. And I pray, Father, that you would just, you would explain these things to us. I pray that as we worship, we would uh, just be given fresh understanding and, and fresh excitement as we go out and just live our weeks as dearly loved children and walk in love. And I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have one last song, so I invite you guys to stand together and this worship.